Hello, and welcome to ADHD Essentials, part of the ADHD Rewired Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brendan Mahan. I'm a former teacher and mental health clinician turned ADHD coach, trainer, and consultant. I can be reached at brendan at adhdessentials.com. Here at ADHD Essentials, we help families develop the skills and knowledge needed to better manage attention deficit hyperactivity disorder. Visit ADHDessentials.com for more details. It's the one-year anniversary episode of ADHD Essentials. I'm pretty proud of releasing this podcast every week for the past year. It's been a fun ride. I've connected with smart and interesting people, made some new friends, reconnected with old ones, struggled through editing, reached out to people for interviews even when it felt intimidating, and said red leather, yellow leather more times than I ever thought I would. And I even got to share some of it with my family. Amy and the boys have helped me book some guests. The boys have helped me edit some of these episodes, with Nate especially getting into the stuff early on. And not only did Nathan and Gavin help me interview Dave Pilkey, but they make an appearance on today's anniversary episode as well. But before we go there, a few announcements. I'd like to invite you to join the official ADHD Essentials Facebook community. It's filled with useful ADHD, family, and school resources for our members, as well as the occasional adult productivity tip. Go to facebook.com groups slash ADHD Essentials community to sign up. And if you're already a member, why not start a conversation? I'd love to hear a little more from the people in the group. Also, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, shoot me a line at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. I always need parents to talk to, but experts and school staff are welcome as well. Finally, if you haven't posted one already, I'd really appreciate a five-star rating and review on iTunes. They help others find the show, and it's a great way to celebrate the anniversary of the pod. Just remember to use a unique username, or iTunes may not accept your post. This is episode 54. Today, we're talking to Lauren Mahan. Lauren is a fourth grade teacher and my sister. That's right, I'm celebrating the anniversary of the pod with family. And since Nathan and Gavin are in fourth grade this year, and Lauren's their aunt, we had them sit in on the interview. You'll hear what they think about school as a couple of dudes who are living it. In today's episode, we discuss teaching every kid like they have ADHD why it's important to keep students on their toes, the emotional impact losing recess has on students, and the power of class pets. All right, let's get rolling. I've been teaching for 20 years in the same, or almost 20 years in the same district. And every year comes with its own challenges and wonderful things. And and ADHD is one of those challenges and wonderful things that we have every year. Before we started recording, one of the things you said was that if you teach every kid like they have ADHD, then every kid will learn. It's not like ADHD kids have needs that, that typical kids that their regular ed peers don't have. So if you teach every kid as if their attention is going to wane and you do things that will keep them paying attention, that's going to touch on everybody. It's not only going to reach the kids with ADHD. Whereas if you teach everybody as if no one has ADHD, it's a boring classroom. 
So I, I prefer to keep everybody on their toes all day long, never knowing what's going to come next, where they're going to be learning, where they're going to be sitting. I have a schedule posted on the board, but they don't know what that's going to entail necessarily. And I think kids tune in because they want to know what's going to happen next. And that benefits everybody. So one of the things that, that you've done to sort of keep the kids on their toes, being that Christmas just passed, is you posted on Facebook a picture of yourself in like the most ridiculous holiday sweater. Oh, yeah. Where it was sort of, you had a hat on that was Santa's feet sticking up in the air mm -hmm. and the sweater was red and it was sort of like stitched a fireplace onto it. So Miss Frizzle from Magic School Bus is a little bit my hero. Um, this has kind of developed more recently for me. And I've, I've started to become, not all the time, not every day, but when the opportunity presents itself to be outrageous, I'm outrageous. So we had um, an ugly sweater day. And a friend of mine had had a sweater that I had seen that was just perfect. So yeah, I wore it. It had lights that blinked and it had a Santa Claus and it had a chimney and it had the hat. And everywhere I went, people stared at me. So it was fun because it made the kids laugh. And one of the things that I think is super important, again, for every kid, not just kids with ADHD, is for kids to want to be in school. So they want to be in school when you can keep them laughing and keep them smiling and keep them wanting to come back every day. It's half the battle. So that was one of the things we had a, for Halloween. We don't wear costumes for Halloween, but I figure as a teacher, I can kind of do what I want. So I dressed up as the rock cycle for Halloween. I had three different costumes. And every time the kids left the room for a special or for lunch and they came back in, I had a different section of the rock cycle on my clothes. It makes them laugh. They think it's fun. So that's what I like to do. How did you dress up as the rock cycle? Well, there's igneous and metamorphic and sedimentary rocks. So based on what those rocks, how they're formed, that's how I dressed. I had a black, like underneath black shirt and black pants. And then I had a poncho that looked like whatever the types of rocks were. So, and one of them I had a hat on for, I don't even remember what it was, but it was, it was fun. How do those costumes, admittedly you're not doing it often, but how do they affect your classroom? Do the kids get overly distracted by it? Are they able to sort of navigate it after a minute or two? The first time you do something like that, they're just blown away, but they come back. They, they, you know, they, you have to, you can't do something like that and expect that you're going to roll right back into your lesson. If you're going to do things like that, you have to know that you are giving up instructional time for um, a good reason, which is to keep their attention. And, and you know, it, it builds to a, a greater good in the end. The first time you do it, it's, it's crazy. But then after a while, when I've done different things, they've come to know, oh, there she goes again. You know, so it's easier to maintain their attention once you've done it a couple of times. But again, you have to be careful that you're not losing too much instructional time with it. And that's a fine line that I walk all the time because having fun is, is so important to the instructional method. Nobody wants to learn things if they're bored. You know, you have to keep them wanting to pay attention and, and happy. What you said is pretty correct, which is why I want to be in your classroom. <laughs> I wish you could be, dude. That would be fun. Most of the teachers that I've met not all of them, but most of the time, they focus on learning. And if kids start to laugh about something, they give them like 15 seconds and they're like, okay, back to learning. They don't give them time to come back. Yeah, and you need a chance, right? Once you laugh, your brain has to get refocused. The teachers do often do fun stuff every now and then. Like I 
think it was the week before vacation in one year, we got to do a math quiz. Mm-hmm. It was like a game show. One group would come up to answer a question, and the kids with the most points at the end of the game would win. And if you got the question correct, then you'd get however many points. So is that a day you were happy to be in school? Yep. Yeah. See, that's the thing. And as teachers, we have to find a way to fool you into learning while you're having fun. So that's kind of the challenge of being a teacher is we want to have fun, but you have to learn at the same time. Yeah. And you can't have the fun outweigh the learning. Correct. But like you said, they're not going to want to be there. Yep. If we don't have some fun hiding in amongst the learning. Yeah. Well, I think one of the benefits to teaching for a long time is you learn how to do that. You learn how to how to fake them into learning. You know, they mm-hmm. don't know they're learning um, because it's a good time. And games like that are, are a great thing, Gav, to, to get kids engaged in what's going on. And you make sure that they have actually learned the stuff that you've taught them by playing those games. Yeah. So your teacher was actually fooling you. I know when I taught, I had A, B, and C in the four corners of my classroom mm-hmm. because of standardized testing and multiple yeah. choice questions and all that kind of stuff. And we would play a game where the kids... Everybody got a whiteboard and I would post a question on the board with like a projector or whatever. And it would have A, B, and C, A, B, C, and D answers, multiple choice questions. And the kids would write the letter on their whiteboard and then go to whatever corner matched that letter. So they're all committing to where they are. And it was really cool because you'd have like 15 kids in one corner and then the other three corners would have like two or three, maybe one. And after that, they had to justify their answer. Mm-hmm. the kids in like a who all know they're right because there's 15 of them there are like well so this is the answer because but i'd save them for later and have the three kids who got it wrong the three corners that were wrong walk me through either how do you like now that you're you know you're wrong are you rethinking things what's going on there or how did you wind up coming to the wrong answer mm-hmm. um, and so it sort of gave them an opportunity to show their thinking like we so often have to do with math although this English. And it also provided the kids with a way to get up and move around the classroom a little bit and Mm -hmm. and they engage in that way. Yeah. And being able to explain your thought process is a challenge for a lot of kids. Right. And so important. Yeah. That's (laughs) Nate's least favorite thing in the wide world. Do you want to complain about it? Do you want to talk about that? (laughs) Well, one of the things that I, that I found is it, that's a real challenge for kids who are educationally gifted. You know, kids that can, able, that can get to an answer without having to think through a process. They just, the process is kind of invisible in their brain and they get there. So being able to explain how they got there, that's their challenge now. So maybe the math isn't the challenge, but the explanation is. One year, a couple teachers came and brought kids for a math test and I got the right answer every time, but I kept not showing my work. Mm-hmm. So. I had to keep coming again and again until I finally showed my work. Yep, that would happen if you were in my room too. You know, there's a, there's a great book for this, for this issue that we're talking about. Have you guys ever read Sideways Stories from Wayside School? No. You should read that. It's all a bunch of chapters of different kids. And one of the kids, they say that he can't count. He doesn't know how to count. But if the teacher says count to 10, the kid says 10 different numbers and he ends with 10 but he doesn't put them in order the right way. So he might say seven, 11, nine, a million, six, four, two, one, five, ten. 
and the teacher says no and he says I thought I counted to 10 and she said well you did but you didn't do it right and she finally teaches him how to count and then he can't do it right when he when she teaches him the right way he can't do it at all so it's it's cute it's just about like that kind of thing Gav did you want to say something yes but I forgot what I was going to say I'm sorry that's supposed to happen on an ADHD podcast <laughs> we'll come back to you um so did you remember yes. all right we're leaving that in go ahead although we haven't read it yet i do know that sideways stories from wayside school is in our classroom oh so good I'll okay good add it to your collection nice <laughs> um <laughs> how like we've got a couple kids here who are talking about how they think your practices would affect them, right? Mm -hmm. Dressing up, keeping things exciting. How are your kids responding in your classroom, the actual students that you have, not just your nephews? I have 20 kids in my classroom right now, and I would venture to say that every single one of them wants to come to school every day, mm -hmm. which is an important thing. We don't have fun all day, every day. We do have our boring lessons that we have to get through as well, uh, and we do. And it, it works out great. I mean, we, we don't sit too long. We move around a lot. I change seats probably once a week. I move all the desks wow. around. So they're always, well, so one, <laughs> one of my challenges sometimes is that kids talk too much. So we move the seats to keep, I don't know, mixing up who they're with and try to cut down some of the excess talking that we don't need to have. But I also like kids to be able to work with different people often. Mm-hmm. Oh, one of the things that I do that's, that's fun for kids during, so math is one of my favorite subjects to teach. And I took a math class once where in the class that they put big white sheets of paper on the tables that we as grownups were sitting at. And so we could do our thinking and our, our figuring on this big white paper. So what I do with the kids is we just write on our desks during math time. They get to write on their desks and solve their problems on their desks. And when math is over, we clean the desks off. And they think that is an absolute riot that they get to write on their desks. So talk about making kids want to do math. You give kids permission to write on their desks and they are all over doing math. What are you using to write on the desks and how are you getting it off? A pencil and a Clorox wipe okay. or a baby wipe or whatever. But it's, you know, we have this big taboo of writing on the desks. And I, I figured, you know, it, it's kind of fun to break the rules sometimes. So I always started out by if I'm working with a kid... I'll start writing on their desk. And when I start writing on their desk, they look at me like I'm going to get fired because I'm writing on their desk. <laughs> and then I tell them that, go ahead, write on your desk. And then they write on the desk and they go, oh, I'm telling on you. You know, so we get them laughing at that. And then they just think it's a riot and they want to do math, not because they want to do math, but because they want to write on their desk. Who doesn't? That's Would awesome. you guys write on your desk if your teacher told you you could? Maybe. <laughs> Probably. But yeah. we have tables, not desks. So write on the table. I mean, don't write on the table, but, you know, it's, it's anything you to. can do that's out of the ordinary. Well, something I've seen a teacher do on, I think it was the last day of school, was they let the students clean the tables with shaving cream. Mm-hmm. Everyone was just having so much fun. They're just... Teachers just put shaving cream on the tables and the students would just wipe it around. Yep. Yep. And again, they were tricking the kids into cleaning their desks. Right. And that's something you could do not even just at the end of the year. Like that's yeah. a pretty traditional end of the year thing. But yep. you could do that at Christmas break or winter break yep. or whatever. Sure. 
Sure, anytime. You can do it on a Tuesday. I did have something I wanted to say about playing games. Go ahead, Gav. Mentioned a few minutes ago, which is even though the games are fun, you probably shouldn't make them too competitive because, like, the game you mentioned with the A, B, C, and D, mm-hmm. if the kids get too competitive, someone might get C, but then most of the kids are at A, so they're like, oh, that must be the right answer. So then they move over to A, and so then they didn't actually get that answer. So, so maybe you'd call on them or something, and so you'd be like, how did you get that answer? And then you'd be like, uh... Yeah. That's actually a mistake that I made when I first did that lesson. I thought I was being super clever. And I had an amazing principal at the time whose name was Jerry Goyette. And he observed me doing that lesson. And he was like, you know what you should do is give all the kids a whiteboard. Because the first time I did it, they just went to whatever corner they wanted to go to. And kids absolutely were changing their answer. And my principal recommended that I give everybody a whiteboard and make them commit to their letter choice on the whiteboard. So they'd write an A, a B, a C, or a D on the whiteboard. And then I can tell because they don't get to erase it and change it when they see that it's wrong. So that was a way to make sure that exactly what you're talking about doesn't happen. And, uh, and, and yeah, Mr. Goyette was pretty awesome as a principal. I really liked working for him. So good catch. Good thinking, Gav. Nate, do you have something? Uh, just one more thing about having fun. Mm-hmm. We got to do read aloud and the kids would read it in media. and. When I would do it to get kids to laugh and make them want to read, I would give the characters voices. Yep. Like one of them would be like a really tough man and another one would like be something like, like well, how did you like the book? It was very <laughs> great. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And how did the teacher react to you reading like that? She said it was a first and that she wanted me to read more next nice. game. Whoa. Because then the kids would listen to the book instead of reading ahead. Yeah. And they would want to read the book too and make them have voices. Perfect. That's wonderful. Want to want to read. Yeah. And that is the benefit of having parents who read and who read to them. True. They know how to do things like that. That's yeah. fabulous. So one of the other outrageous things that I know that you've done, um, (laughs) (laughs) because there's a picture of it in the ADHD Essentials Facebook community. Yes, there is. um, (laughs) Is you stood on your table at one point (laughs) while you were teaching a lesson. How did you get onto the table? So earlier this year, we had a stink bug problem in my room, and we also had a, a bee problem in the room. So... Because there was a bee problem, every time there was anything that moved in the room, everybody would assume it was a bee. And I would lose all attention for any part of my lesson at all. So this particular day, everybody was looking up at the lights and I was trying to teach math. I had no attention at all because everyone was wondering if it was a bee. So I climbed up on the desk to get whatever it was to figure it out. So I climbed up there and it was a stink bug. I must have caught it. I always let the bugs go. So I catch the bug and I, and I let it go. And, but they had all been watching me while I was up on the desks. So I figured if I had their attention, I might as well stay up there. So there was about 10 minutes left in the math lesson. So I, I guess I threw the bug out the window and I climbed back up on the desks again and I finished teaching math from the top of the desks. And 
yes, there was laughter and yes, there was, you know, a little, oh my God, I can't believe she's doing that. But the math lesson finished and they sure were tuned in to whatever was going on. So um, yeah, you, you got to do what you got to do to keep the focus. So that was that day. You, awesome. Nobody wins when there's a B in the room. Nobody, except for the B. No matter how good of a teacher you are, if there's a B in the room, you're done. I had a day early on in my teaching career too. It was like my second year teaching. It was raining out. The skylights in my classroom flooded. And I, <laughs> I literally had a waterfall like almost in the middle of my room. Like it was the back middle of my room. And so I just taught in front of it. I just left the board and stood in front of the waterfall. <laughs> so they'd all watch you. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Because I was oh like, I can't beat this thing. Like, there's no way I'm going to mm -hmm. get their attention away mm -hmm. from the waterfall. There's yep. like, I think we had like three trash barrels in there because I oh more than God. one water, waterfall was happening. That was yep. the biggest. It, yeah, that school needed some repairs. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> oh, my God. So when it comes to the ADHD kids in your classroom, what are the typical challenges that you're seeing? Like, are there any that kind of repeat year to year? Well, yeah. So there's ADHD is... I'm going to, I'm going to use the word rarely its own thing. It usually comes with other stuff. Yeah. It's super so comorbid. It, it is. And, um, anxiety, I would say, and executive functioning stuff. So now you've got a student who, I mean, if we're looking at the hyperactivity piece, we're looking at constant movement, a messy desk and can't find things, you know, and then the anxiety over, I can't find things and I can't pay attention. So, you know, that's a lot for a little brain to have to deal with. The biggest challenge is that it's not one fire to put out. It's two or three or four mm -hmm. with one poor kid that's got this going on. So like I said, if you can distract from that stuff, like I think the laughter helps the anxiety end of things, but sometimes it can go the other way too. You know, you don't, you really have to learn your kids to know what kids can take. Right. So my, my personality is big and it's sarcastic, which I always teach, teach it. You got to teach sarcasm. You can't just use it. Yeah. Because that's something that, that can make an anxious kid more anxious. Um, and then we have tools, like we work closely with our occupational therapists. So um, the kids who have that, that hyperactivity piece will have a seat cushion or we call it a bouncy band on the front of the desks. We can use alternative seating like a stool or a yoga ball, which is usually my last choice. You can put Velcro on the desks. We have fidgets, you know, this particular year, I, I had purchased some fidgets to have in the room just because I thought that was like, you know, the cool thing to do. Let the kids respect them. Let them play with fidgets. Let them do this. Yeah, it doesn't work that way. You can't just have a box of fidgets and 20 kids and think that it's going to work. No, you have to teach them. Just like you have to teach sarcasm, you have to teach fidgets too. Apparently, you need to teach fidgets. So, um, so the fidgets, I have recollected all of the fidgets. <laughs> there are no fidgets in my room anymore. And also, as a consultant, right? Mm-hmm. The teacher has to teach the kids the fidgets, but someone has to teach the teacher the fidgets. Because, okay. And here's what I mean by that. I've been in plenty of classrooms observing, even I did some work as a sub here and there just to get into classrooms and see what was going on. Mm -hmm. And there are plenty of teachers out there who think a fidget is being distracting, but it's really only being distracting to the teacher and the, all the kids are fine. Like the kids are sort of doing their work and fine. And maybe the kid next to the one with the fidget sort of reaches out and touches the fidget every four minutes or oh, something. Oh yeah, no, that's whatever. not what was happening. But that's not distraction. <laughs> but I've seen the teachers be like, you have to put that away. It's distracting. Mm -hmm. And it's really just the teacher that's getting distracted. And I'm not saying that's the case for you, but there are other people listening. Mm -hmm. Yes. <laughs> so. Yeah. No, absolutely. 
I bought them thinking it was a great idea, but the fi- the fidgets that I had were probably not the best types of fidgets mm-hmm. because my kids were finding other things to do with them besides fidgeting. Okay. You know, they they were inventing things <laughs> with fidgets. Mm-hmm. So anyway, the fid- so the fidgets didn't work. This year now I've I've put some stuff up in the hallway for like movement breaks. There's three different trails that they can take out in the hallway and they can um, you know, some of it is like yoga based and some of it is more movement based, like do a push up against mm-hmm. the wall just to kind of give them a break. Cause there's, that's another thing that comes along with ADHD is, is kids need a break and it's not just ADHD kids that need a break. Everybody needs a break. Yeah. So we'll take little times and um, individual kids during independent work can go ahead out in the hallway and take a little movement break. Um, I've been using this product called calm classroom in my room after lunch and after recess, we do this calm classroom. It's like two to three minutes of just kind of focusing and breathing. And it wraps up an exciting time like recess and kind of brings them back into the focus of the classroom. That's been working out well as well. And my opinion and what I feel about fidgets is it depends on how the kid is feeling if you should give them a fidget because I have broken multiple fidgets Uh because I was mad not because I needed a fidget. And oh. she was like, go take a break and use a fidget. So I twisted one and it just broke. Oh my. It was gone forever. And after you broke the fidget, then how did you feel? I felt like if I told you, you would tell the teacher and I would get in trouble. Okay. So now we've got some anxiety layering onto the mad. Is that fair? Yeah. I wouldn't feel that way. If you hadn't had the conference with one of the teachers where I told you not to tell them something and I walked in on you telling them that. Yeah. I told you I was going to tell them that though. (laughs) That was the cards, right? Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Nate. I haven't been doing a good job of labeling who's talking. So I want to circle back to something on the ADHD side of stuff. You mentioned that ADHD often comes with anxiety and executive functioning challenges. Mm -hmm. And as a reframe, ADHD in a lot of ways is anxiety and executive functioning challenges. There's no scenario where you've got a kid with ADHD and you're not also dealing with executive functioning because that's a major component of ADHD. Mm -hmm. And there's no scenario where you're dealing with a kid who has ADHD Actually, I shouldn't say it because you're teaching fourth grade. So there might be a couple of times where anxiety isn't hitting yet. But for the most part, if you've got ADHD, you're also affected by anxiety. And it may or may not be diagnosable. It might not be rising to that level, but there's always anxiety hiding inside of ADHD. They're like best friends, which doesn't mean if you have anxiety, you're going to have ADHD. That's not the case. Right. But if you have ADHD, Executive functioning is just a core component of ADHD. It should be part of your definition of ADHD. And anxiety comes with ADHD at all times. The only caveat I'm throwing in there is that you're teaching fourth graders. And so it might not be there yet just because they haven't struggled and failed enough yet, but they're getting there. They're right to the point where it's probably there. Mm -hmm. It usually is. Yeah. And that's the wall of awful. That's that stuff that we've talked about. So, What have you learned from teaching kids with ADHD? I think that that's kind of where my personality as a teacher came out of always keeping things moving and using using a teacher's manual as a jumping off point and always thinking on my feet. I mean, you have to read your kids as a teacher and know when 
something's not working. And oftentimes, you know, something's not working because the kids aren't listening. You know, they're not, you can't fight through a board class to get through a lesson. Somebody, when I first became a teacher, I remember the, the, the phrase that if the kids didn't learn it, you didn't teach it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that whole, the kids don't remember it, or, you know, you give a test and everybody fails the test. And the teacher, I remember being in high school and I taught this, I taught this. And no, you didn't, you know, you didn't, you said it and you, and you might've done it, but you didn't teach it if they didn't learn it. So I work hard to make them want to learn it and want to learn it versus learning it, you know, mm-hmm. making things important and just keeping things interesting. I think that's, like I said, it, it benefits everybody, but it definitely benefits those kids that have the attentional deficits. Now you mentioned prior to the interview that for a while now you've been getting the kids that are a little more challenging behaviorally. Mm-hmm. What does that look like? I guess one, why did they pick you? What is it about how you're teaching? And maybe it's the outrageous stuff we've already been talking about, but what is it about your classroom that has administration going, Lauren, let's oh, well, let's I, give these kids to Lauren. Well, and, no, I think sometimes it's let's spread it out, you know, okay, but, okay. but I do, I do, um, I do oftentimes have the kids with the behavioral challenges, mm-hmm. which, you know, and I don't know. I mean, everybody's personality is different in terms of teachers. Mm-hmm. And I think that my teaching, um, so I try to build relationships with kids before they ever get to fourth grade. And in my class, I have animals. Um, I've always had gerbils. I have a guinea pig. And it works to the benefit of everybody in the school because when we have those kids who need a break, all of the teachers, of course, know that I have the animals. So oftentimes, the kids with those behavioral challenges that are taking their break when they're in first grade are coming to my room to take their break with the animals. Mm-hmm. So I start to know these kids when they're, when they're young. And they know me in the hallway. And I try to maintain that relationship all the way through. If I see them in the hallway, I say hello. So it's really a relationship that can start to build earlier than the year that they come into my classroom. So that might be one of the reasons why. Um, That's awesome. And yeah, well, you know, the, the classroom pets are, are a huge benefit to the whole school. I'm the only one that has them. And mm-hmm. we have specific classrooms that have kids with behavioral challenges. And this is a good thing for them. You know, we have a lot of ABA tutors in our school and a lot of the teachers are animal lovers, you know, and kids love animals. So it works out really well to be able to start with the kids when they're in kindergarten, first grade. Some of the kindergarten classrooms will use my animals. If their kids fill the marble jar, they'll borrow the gerbils for the day or something. So all of the kids in the school pretty much know who I am because I have the animals. They may not know my name, but they know I'm like the animal lady. So when you start being able to know a kid by name when they're in first grade, just kind of builds up through that. And I have that reputation of, of building the relationships, I think, with those kids that may be more of a challenge. And I love it. That's awesome. And that's one of the most impressive parts of that is just how mindful and aware you are of the role those animals are playing in the larger school as opposed to just your classroom. That's awesome. They're huge. It's, I was on the, the committee to write the pet policy last year because I was afraid that they were going to say no pets. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I want to be on that committee. <laughs> so I was on that committee and, and we can still have pets. So they're super important for kids. You know, they, they serve so many purposes for kids who want a pet and don't have one. And, you know, there's been a couple of kids who have had allergies that have, you know, there's some kids that have requested not to be in my room because they don't like animals, mm-hmm. which is fine. Some kids that have allergies that we avoid, you know, you have to be mindful of the impact that animal fur can have on anybody. Right. Um, but as long as you do that, 
it's it's great for those kids who can enjoy it. Yeah. We navigated that at Christmas. Yes, you did. <laughs> and you did it so well. Yeah, I didn't have an allergy attack until the next day. Good job. <laughs> Must have yeah. been something in your own house. Ah. <laughs> I had one thing to say when you started talking about pets. Mm-hmm. Another thing you shouldn't do is throughout multiple years, tell the, eventually that you're going to do something fun and then not do it. Oh, right. Our school failed with that. And they said, kept being like, in second grade, you get to catch frogs. You get to catch frogs in second grade. And then only one class did that. Ooh. And we were really disappointed. Yeah, we don't want to disappoint kids. Yeah, right. thanks. Yeah. We yeah. did get to dissect owl pellets, though. That's fun, too. I love doing that. Sort of thinking back on um, why is it that you're getting sort of the behavior kids. And I ask that. Because I don't want to pretend that kids with ADHD don't also have behavioral issues because certainly they do. That's a, that's mm-hmm. a carryover. We have had a number of conversations about ADHD and it's been interesting for me because I, I'll talk about the challenges that my clients are experiencing in schools and how schools are doing this wrong and they don't do this kind of stuff and all those things. And every time we have those conversations, you push back on me and you're like, no, schools do that. That's a thing. That's all the time. That's exactly how you're <laughs> supposed to do it. Because clearly your school is doing it right and in your classroom you're doing it right. Wow. And it was interesting for me when you came to my workshop a little while ago. And at the end you were like, wow, people are really having trouble with schools that don't follow the IEP or 504s that mean nothing. Yeah. And so one of the reasons I wanted to have you on is just because you're doing it right. And that's (laughs) really important that my audience knows that there's, there's teachers out there, there's schools out there that are nailing it across the board. Yeah, you know, I have to say, just um, in thinking about what you're saying right now, and you know, why is our school doing it? And um, in defense of the people who aren't doing it right, if that's the right way to put it, there's a lot of pressure on school systems and on educators because it kind of has that trickle down effect from the state mm-hmm. to the you know test scores, right. right? Test scores, test scores, test scores, and you can't give up a minute of time. You have to teach. You have to teach. The kids are robots. They have to sit down. They have to learn. And that pressure is coming from above and it's coming from the people who don't know how kids learn and who don't understand child development and who only care about ratings and scores and numbers. And to my district's credit, although yes, of course, we have meetings about MCAS and we care about test scores and things, the kids are our priority and the education that they receive is their priority, not just from me, but from my district. And I think that yeah, we had to get there. There was a time when we were, you know, the teachers were nervous, the school was nervous, we were trying to do well, you know, with test scores. And the district over the, you know, change in regimes and over periods of time, and and with research, you know, learned that this is not helpful to kids. And we're not, we're not teaching kids who want to learn, we're not teaching kids who are going to take this love of learning further, you know, because we were berating them with knowledge that didn't mean anything to them. So my school district is wonderful. The kids are coming, are coming first in our district, not our test scores. Mm-hmm. And our test scores are still really good. You know, we're competitive with all of the towns around us. I don't even know what ranking we are, but I know we're in like the top 25 in the state. So our test scores aren't dropping as a result of this child-centered methodology that we're using now. So you can have both. You can have both. I just think it's great that, that your district is doing it right. Yeah, they are. If any teachers out there listening, I can give you Lauren's email and you can, she can connect you to her district and 
come by and see. Come what work for doing. us. <laughs> or just come by and see what you're doing, you know, and bring it back. Sure. That's an sure. option too. So guys, I'm going to wrap us up in a second. Do you guys have any questions or comments that you want to add to the podcast? One thing I know is that most schools, usually I haven't seen do this that much, but one thing that you shouldn't do is make kids stay inside for recess is for work that they haven't finished because I agree. I know that because I know that one time I had to stay inside for recess to do some work and that just made me more discouraged and I didn't want to do the work the work anymore. But and so a good idea is if they haven't finished their work, if they're gonna do it at recess, let them do it outside because I know I had to work outside once too during recess and that made me more encouraged to finish it and so that I could play outside. But inside, you think you won't get out to recess since you're not out there. And that causes more anxiety, right? Yep. Yeah. No, I agree. Kids, kids need to be kids. First and foremost, they need to go outside and they need to play at recess no matter what. Yeah. Good point, Gav. Just being mindful of time. Do you have any ending essentials that you'd like to add? I mean, as an educator, I think that that the key for me is to treat every kid as if their attention is a deficit. You know, every, every kid needs to be kept engaged and, and wanting to learn to a parent listener, know that your kid has some challenges and, and presents some challenges that people are working very hard to keep your child engaged and keep your child learning. Hey, you're still here. Nice. Thanks for staying focused all the way through. If you have any thoughts or questions about today's episode, feel free to email me at brendan at ADHDessentials.com. And don't forget to check out the website, ADHDessentials.com, and visit our Facebook community. I'm looking forward to talking to you again next week. In the meantime, keep focusing on improvement over perfection. 10% better is all you need.